0: Welcome back to Women Creating Wealth, where we talk about ways to create a beautiful financial income stream, mostly passive income stream using real estate. That's why I'm so excited today that Nova Busakiwa is with us today because she's gonna help us. She's a superstar in the investing space and she is on a mission to help single women like us, to gain the confidence, clarity, and strategy, which is a very important word, to create financial freedom through house hacking. Nobu, thank you so much for being with us today. I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. For people who don't know, I mean, we talk about a lot of different, you know, in real estate investing, lots of terms get thrown around and all that. So Explain to people who might be a little bit new what house hacking actually means, what it is. House hacking is taking where
1: you live, taking your primary residence and using it to make money. So... Traditionally, when people think about house hacking, it's uh, usually a multi-family house or a two family, three family, four family house. But realistically, even if you buy a single family house, you can house hack as well. There's just benefits of doing it different kinds of ways. But it's just making sure that when you are the space that you're living in, don't just live in it,
0: use it to make money, essentially. Exactly. So you turn that balance sheet item right now. It's a, it's a debit. It's every month something's coming out of your check or your money to go to pay for your living. And that's- all of a sudden, you're turning that into an asset where money's coming from that to you every single day, and it and makes a big difference. Get, yeah, a big difference. Exactly. It's like somebody paying you to have a brand new car, especially right? now when
1: cars are so expensive.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Isn't it crazy? So, how did you first learn about? Let's start like when you first learned about house hacking, and you thought, hmm, like what made your ears perk up that you wanted to do that? So, I first learned about
1: house hacking when I was trying to buy my first house. So I lived in New York City. And so my first house was actually, when I say buy my first house, I was trying to buy a condo. That's what I was trying to do. (laughs) I was a city employee. I was making $48,000 a year. So the idea of buying a house house, just, well, that, I can't do that. So I got a pre-approval for uh, a condo for $175,000. And then I think through probably bigger pockets, uh, I learned about the rule where if you were buying a multifamily house, 75% 75% of the potential, the future rental income is going to be added to your actual income. And that allows you to qualify for a bigger mortgage. So when I learned that, I just was like, okay, well, if I can actually get something bigger and not have to buy a condo, it just made sense. Okay. And then we, so my family's from Zimbabwe. And when we first moved to the US, we were living in a three-family house. So my parents were renting a three-family house. And then, so when they bought their house by accident, they bought a a duplex. And so, in my head, I just thought, okay, I just had enough. Uh, experience of seeing how getting income from tenants was helpful. And I never thought that I would be able to buy a multifamily house in New York city. And so when I learned about that income rule, I was like, okay, let's go, let's get this done. <laughs> yeah.
0: And thank goodness, right. That you hadn't already bought the condo. Wouldn't you be kicking yourself like, man, I just bought this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you know, that in, in cities like
1: condo fees are, are crazy and you get zip. Right, you get yes. nothing for that money. Yeah, sort of make a thousand dollars for the condo fee, and that's like you know paying rent. Uh, so I'm super glad that I learned that that rule, and that's really what got me excited
0: about buying a multi-family house. And the first one you bought was it a two-family house? It was
1: not. So I initially it took a while to get this house. So this was a whole year and a half journey of learning because. I had no idea. So I was trying, because I worked for the city, I was trying to get, uh, into down payment assistance programs, uh, I had started one, and then I got out because they were trying to put extra restrictions. Then I was trying to get uh, down payment assistance from my union, and at that point, I decided to want a three family. They said, "Well, no, you can't get down payment assistance because now a three family is a business. You'd have to get a two family." And so I ended up getting a a, a tri a triplex. And the reason why is because when I was looking at the prices. The prices between a two-family and a three-family wasn't a big difference. And looking back, I would have loved to buy a fourplex instead. Now that I know what I know, I would have bought a fourplex. But I'm so glad that I bought a three-family instead because it just provides... Um, so one, you qualify for more because you you have extra tenants in that building. And then second, just in terms of as you own it, there is more flexibility, right? If you have a duplex, one person doesn't pay, you're scrambling. You have a, a, a three family, one person, one person doesn't pay, you have another person that's still paying. So you're less likely to be in a bind yeah. in terms of running the building.
0: You can though, when you're looking at, even though you couldn't get that down payment assistance, perhaps when you're getting a loan, they do factor that in, right? You can put down a lower down down payment because you are going to be living in the home, which is one of the great things about house hacking.
1: Absolutely. So I was able to put a three and a half percent down payment on that house, which in New York city, right? Three and a half of a lot of money is a lot better than 20, 20% or even 10%. (laughs) If you're buying a single family house, you, you have access to the same type of loan when you are buying a three or four family house. The reasons that I hear people saying, well, I'm going to buy a single family because I don't want to share my walls with somebody. I don't want to be a landlord. It's like, you don't have to be in this house forever.
0: You know, what you're expressing though is so important. Like in the beginning, right? You kind of said, oh, maybe I'll buy a two family because that's how far your imagination could take you at that moment. Right. And that's part of the process. Is that you know the, the people who you're talking to are saying, Oh, I, you know, I don't want to hear someone else's noise. Oh, really? You want to work for the rest of your life? And I'm like, if that person made a little noise and they also paid all your bills, what do you think? Could you put up with them for a few years, you know, a year, whatever? Do you remember what the process was that kind of allowed you to get to the point where you could even imagine yourself having two tenants, you know, two families worth of tenants and you know, cause it's, that's a big deal. Like the mental process is a big, is a big deal. So please walk us through your experience with that.
1: So in terms of the mental process of becoming a landlady, when I moved to New York, I rented a room, right? So someone that wasn't the owner of the building was my landlord. And then a few months later, I specifically bought a two bedroom, I rented a two bedroom, two bathroom because I didn't want to pay the full rent. Because again, I was making $48,000 a year in New York City. And so if I got my own place, all my money would be going towards the rent. And it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So I was in New York City for six years before I bought my house. And so that whole time I had roommates. So I started off with roommates and then I had a conversation with a gentleman at a bar and he shared how our friend of his started doing this new thing called Airbnb and she retired and moved to Georgia. So I said, cool. So I started airbnb that extra room. <laughs> so now instead of just paying half of my rent, that Airbnb was paying my full rent. And so that's how I was able to actually save up a whole bunch of money in order to even get this house. Before I even bought the house, I was already doing landlord things, right? So I had leases for my roommates. We did checks when they moved in, like checking the room when they moved in and moved out. You know, we had those crucial conversations when, you know, you lost your key six times in the last two months, like, (laughs) come on. Like, (laughs) And so like the biggest thing I would say is if you... Want to, you know, get into real estate and you want to be a landlord and you're nervous about it, start doing it where what you have right now, right? Most of us have huge spaces that we don't use. So if you have an extra room, you know, start renting that out. Or, you know, start going to your local real estate meetup and start having conversations with people that are doing it. So you just hear that nothing crazy happens. You know, listening to this podcast and similar podcasts is really helpful because then you hear regular people who are just like you that are, you know, becoming landlords. So yeah, my my segue into like becoming a landlord of a building wasn't a big leap because I had been doing it on a smaller scale when I was renting.
0: And that's important because it's the next logical step. And I think that's what helps us to learn and also to be, to accept the fact that we can do it. And that, right. I mean, because you could have technically, you could have said, oh, well, I've heard of syndication. I'm going to go syndicate my, you know, go, I'm going to find a bunch of investors and we're going to buy this huge building. And that's where I'm going to live. Like, you know, you could have done that with no, none of your own money and, and all that kind of stuff, but you might have, kind of freaked out right and it might not have worked out as well because you're like oh wow okay (laughs) because there's this whole imposter syndrome thing right and there's the whole I mean that's that's real right I mean did you 100% there
1: absolutely is that uh, idea of imposter syndrome so my parents uh, were a little bit strict growing up (laughs) <laughs> but at the same time, and like they just instill this idea where if somebody else is doing something. There's no reason why you can't do it as well. Imposter syndrome is real. Um, I've certainly experienced it. But my mindset, which has been instilled from my parents, which is that if somebody else is doing something, they are not special. They are a regular person and you can do the same thing as well. When I was deciding what to buy, initially I was looking at these duplexes, and then I had a conversation with a gentleman. At a it was a it was a new new construction, right? And he was saying, "Oh yeah, they got this 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 building fixed so quickly." And I was like, "What is he talking about?" So I asked him questions. That's another thing you got to ask questions. If you don't know how people are doing things. Ask the questions because then you'll know how to do it yourself. Because if you don't know the rules, you cannot you cannot play the game. And so so after I explained that somebody bought this house and they fixed it, so I said, okay. And then when I looked at, this building was for sale for $750,000. $750, when I looked at the past, went to the city records and the person that bought this, bought this house for $220,000. And in just a few months, of course they had to put the money to fix it, but they were making crazy amounts of money initially. I was like, okay, this is the house. I love it. But then I said, okay, wait, if this person is buying cheap houses and fixing it, well, why can't I do that too? Ooh. And then, so I, the, I went into another rat, which is why this house took like a year and a half to buy. Cause <laughs> I just kept learning more and more. And I, and that's just, I know we sometimes don't do things because we don't know. We don't know how to do them, but as you start to do it, that's how you learn. Right. And you might make some mistakes, And that's okay, but those mistakes will help you to do it better the next time. So because that conversation with that gentleman, I said, okay, well, how do I find money to fix things? Because I don't have money. I'm just a city employee making less than 50K. And I learned about uh, the 203K loan um, just from going into forums of uh, like people sharing their stories. And so that's what I ended up using to buy this house. Um, I had to do a massive renovation on this building uh, that was a whole, uh, experience. I didn't think that being a woman would affect my, my relationships with contractors, but it does. <laughs> and to this day, it absolutely does. And so that's like one big thing. Like you can absolutely do this, but just know that you are going to, people are going to try to take advantage of you because you're a woman. They're a little, assume you don't know what you're doing and you will have to put more effort than your male counterparts, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. That's even more reason why you should do it.
0: exactly. Especially once you start to learn things and you can sort of shut them down when they start to be like condescending.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, this job There's is so, oh,
0: so expensive. <laughs> it's
1: so hard. Come on, guy, like stop it. The floor is sloping. It's an old house. That's normal. Cut it out. Like- <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God. I know I've had lots of, lots of horror stories with contractors, but that I really have to give you kudos for being in New York city and buying a place that needed work. And, you know, without a history of who are some good contractors who I can call and a good, you know what I mean? Like a good relationship to just jump in and do this because it takes a lot of guts.
1: Yeah. In retrospect, I was like, yo, that was crazy. (laughs) But I think, you know, sometimes being, sometimes, and I just, I was ignorant to the fact of like how much work it would really be, honestly. Now, unless you have a history of, you know, someone in your family that does construction or you have a history, I wouldn't recommend like jumping in and that being your first uh, foray, unless you are like willing to like, you know, do the work. Um, It's not, it's not easy and it's not the easiest path, but at the same time, it was, a huge deal because as soon as that house was done, I already had 250 K of equity, like in that house, right? Like a year later, cause it took longer than expected, of course, because of course. there were a whole bunch of, <laughs> <laughs> cause it always does. <laughs> yeah. And again, like even through all that, so I had to switch contractors three times. Like it took, it was supposed to take four months. It took a year, you know, I had only four months of mortgage payments in that loan. And by the way, a 203 K loan is an FHA loan. So you still put the three and a half percent down payment, but you get the, the amount to fix the house, the amount to buy the house plus the amount to fix the house in one mortgage, which is amazing. Um, so you pretty much get to renovate a house, but you're not paying for it. And so if you buy this house strategically, you get to create wealth really quickly because you force the equity of that house to go up. And that's how you make money, right? You make money through equity or cash flow, and that's it. Right. So you might, you know, all the episodes you might have been listening to, or someone is doing, you know, they're flipping or they're wholesaling or they're doing the burn method. It all comes down to either equity or cash flow or a combination of both. Right. And that's it. Um, so house hacking is a great way to get that equity because somebody else is paying down that equity for you. Get the cash flow because now you're not paying for where you live. And it's just a great way to get your training wheels into investing and you can just stay there, right? So I'm not out here buying lots and lots of buildings. I'm just, whenever I move, I make sure that house is going to pay for itself. And then we just keep getting more and more as we go along. So, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to have hundreds and hundreds of units, right? Just decide what's, what method you want to use, what works for you, and then, you know, that's it understand cash cash flow equity and then you can decide which vehicle you want to use to to pursue one or both of those I think ideally I think in my opinion I think if like if you choose one the like focus on one as your priority and the other one will you know supplement
0: yeah what are your thoughts but you, but you bring up an excellent point Obu because so many people feel like well, if I don't have a hundred doors, then I'm just really just a dabbler, right? But you can, you can replace your income with just a couple of properties mm-hmm. and then, right. And in the meantime, you're, you're growing equity. So when you decide to sell those properties, you can, there's just so much happening. You're getting tax benefits and you, oh. you might have just a few, a, just a few doors. You could start off. You can have a fantastic life. You can have a, an amazing legacy with 10, you you know, 10 units can uh-huh. give you an amazing life forever. Absolutely. And you never have to buy another property. Right. So I, I'm really glad you said that because it, there is like a little bit of, Oh, you know, I just have a few units. Well, we're, are you, you know, do you, are you struggling? You know, do you, do you, can you feed yourself? Okay. Well then maybe it's a good thing. Right. So, and it gives you, I mean, what is the nicest thing for you that's come out of this, this adventure, this experience that you've had? The nicest thing for me, the most important thing is
1: flexibility with that one house, like, and not being, not having to pay rent. Like I was, I was able to travel every quarter to wherever I wanted. So I had a coworker that was like, she asked a friend of mine, is your friend, like, is she rich? And (laughs) so my friend was like, no, but the reason why I was able to go on multiple trips every year was because I didn't have to pay for rent, right? I was able to pay off all my credit cards. When I bought that house, I had like negative a hundred something thousand dollars, right. Net worth. And just after I fixed that, like we're already in the positive and I was able to pay off my bills. I was able to buy my next house. Um, and so just with the flexibility of not having to pay for where you live, if you look at everything that you pay for, the most expensive thing is probably your rent or taxes, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So if you can eliminate your rent, you are already winning. I think the the math for house hacking is a lot simpler because the question is like, are you paying less than what you're paying in rent? Ideally, are you paying zero? And if you are, you're winning. So I think people try to make it more complicated and say, well, what's the cash on cash? And what's this? I yeah. I don't think you need to worry about that if you're just house hacking. Like if you're paying zero as close to zero as possible for your living expense, you're doing great. And then you're gonna get tax deductions. Then you're gonna get equity, right? For by your tenants paying down your mortgage, they are creating a piggy bank for you that you can pull from. So right. I was able to take money from that first house to pay off my second house in full. And when I did that, I said, I don't like my job right now. I'm gonna quit. And so I did (laughs) (laughs) because I have that flexibility (laughs) because all I have to worry about is paying for my food because that first house still pays for itself. That's why I think it's so powerful, especially if you are a single woman, there's this money piece of what am I going to do about money because I'm used to having my money with this other person. Whereas like, if you had your property that you bought before you got married and that was still there, then that would still be there. And that would still be something for you to fall back on, right? So I I hear women saying, well, I'm not going to buy a house right now because I'm not married. That's exactly why I should buy a house. You can do whatever you want right now.
0: Well, it's just this magic about, and I know that's a thing, right? And I felt that way myself. And I thought it was a thing because of my age, but you're 20 years younger and you're still feeling that way. So I like to hear that because a lot of people think that, well, when when i buy when i get married we'll get a house together great but wouldn't it be nice if you could take 300,000 dollars worth of equity that you have in your own property into that mm-hmm. relationship and imagine the house that you could buy together and if you if you're savvy, maybe you'll be attracted to someone who's also savvy with real estate or something. And then all of a sudden you've got maybe six hundred thousand dollars that you can put in in cash into this nice beautiful house that you're going to have together, right? I mean, it's not exactly it doesn't mean you're giving up on marriage because you have bought your own piece of property, especially if you're doing it in the in, in the smart and tactful and strategic way that you're talking about doing it.
1: I mean, I just think it's 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 a it's a win, right? And then once you have that that multifamily, when you buy your single family, it's a lot easier to qualify because now you have income from that. Whereas if you do it the other way around where you just have the single family, now they're counting that as a bill as opposed to counting it as income. I, I just- yeah. I mean, if if you don't have a house, I highly recommend you look into buying a multifamily first. And then once you have that, it's just easier for you. If you decide, okay, I don't like this, you can just get your single family. And even in that single family, you can still house hack right? So my second house is a single family, but it's, I bought a specific type of single family because I wanted to make sure I could Airbnb an extra room in there. So there's just so many benefits for buying a, you know, a multifamily and it's, it's not any harder than buying a single family, right? So there's the there's the income requirement, right? So yes, you you do need more income, but the good thing is your future income from the house you don't even have yet is gonna be, you know, gonna be counted. Like they they give you credit for a business that you haven't even started
0: yet. And like that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that, but and now you bring up a great point with the, the buying, you don't if you buy your single family first. And then you say, oh, I, I've decided I'm going to go be a house hacker. So I'm going I'm to keep this single family and rent it out. And then I'm going to go buy a multifamily. The bank won't believe that you're going to live there. So you lose all the benefits that you would have of being an owner-occupant, like being able to put down a lower deposit, getting mm-hmm. a lower interest rate. As soon as it's a business, the bank looks at it differently. It's easy for them to believe that you're going from a three family to a two or a one. It's hard for them to believe that, you. oh, I used to live by myself, but now I want to have lots of people above and below me. And here are lots, right? I mean, banks are like, yeah, okay, sure you do, lady. Right? So doing this in a strategic fashion is makes so much sense. And actually the way you're talking about, the way you did it is the way throughout this this series of podcasts that i've been doing for the last two years that's exactly what i've been talking about start where you stand right i'm in a rental unit is there any place that anybody could sleep because if there is rent that space to them and then start making money because the minute you reduce any of your expenses right as you prove now i'm not paying my rent this person's paying my rent i can now save all that rent money and that's going to be a deposit for my first property you did it exactly the way I've been and people send me little notes like, oh, that doesn't work. Well, dude, it totally works. It totally works. And here is I'm evidence. Exactly. A second person to prove to to prove us right. So what does life look like for you today?
1: So today I still have the, just the two units. So I just have the two units. So I'm not the two, two buildings, excuse me. I have one multifamily and a single family. And right now I'm not trying to scale right now. I'm trying to put systems in because I, I want to remove myself. So I have been, uh, managing the, the three unit with my sister. Um, but sometimes we, we go to, we go places together. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I want to put systems in where we can both not be there and we're just collecting funds um i want to turn my single family that i have into uh an unofficial multifamily i want to add an adu to that and mm-hmm. once that's done um then i'm I, my goal for next year is to buy a uh, a short-term rental in cape town that's what i really want mm-hmm. and then uh, another four unit probably in Indianapolis. I think I'm done with New York City. <laughs> oh, interesting, <Indianapolis. laughs> not, not, not as a place to live. I'm done with the rental laws in New
0: York City. Yes, so. that's true. Airbnb, the success of Airbnb. First, I want to say one thing before we go down that road is ADU accessory dwelling unit is allowed in most cities and towns now because they really are, are trying to encourage people to create more workforce housing. So check your if that's something that's an option for you. You've got a little bit of land, you've got some space, you've got a dryware where you can stick a <laughs> trailer, right? Mm-hmm. That that is another way to basically expand the amount of property that you can rent. But then also Airbnb in a lot of areas, because it's been successful and not everybody's a great landlord and not everybody, you know, has a clue. There are a lot of cities and towns, especially cities that where people are living in close proximity to each other are creating a lot of laws around renting Mm short-term rentals right Mm -hmm. lots of condos you can't do it lots of towns some towns you can't do it and as you're saying like new york city is it allowed in new york city
1: so as of the beginning of next year i believe it will you will have to register to do it and then if you have a three family or above you cannot so um, but I haven't done, uh, Airbnb in New York city in a minute. Um, so I'm okay with that. But even just like the regular, like New York city is very, very tenant friendly. So I had to do an eviction th- during, right before COVID and just got like roped into that. And I learned a lot about eviction laws in New York city, which I'm so glad I did. Cause I was about to buy a six unit. <laughs> which is even worse. Like once you get into six unit, it's now like com- like commercial. Now you, there's like even less landlord rights in New York city. So I, I don't want to continue building there. I want to build in, in Indianapolis because it's a lot more, like it's a lot more even. Um, and by build, so I'm not trying to get hundreds of units. I just want a couple more. And then I want a, a vacation rental in Cape town. Nice. So those are my goals. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> I love to hear that. I just want to expand again. I keep expanding on things because I love to, Where's... I love, and what you're saying is so synergistic with all the stuff that I always talk about and get excited about that I want to keep uh, going there. Uh, just to, to clarify what Nobu just said about uh, six units is a commercial for, for the law, for legal stuff, for tax stuff, and for mortgage stuff, uh, five or more units is considered commercial. So that changes the rules in a lot of ways. And that's something to research before you go ahead and go down that road. It's, they, they feel differently about you. They treat you different and they don't care whether you live there or not. It's a commercial space, right? It's, it's a lot different.
1: Um, yeah.
0: So, sorry. I mean,
1: yeah. No, yeah. Doing the eviction was not fun, but I learned so much. And like I said, like, you're not going to know you're not going to know everything before you get started. You can research all you want. You can listen to all the podcasts, you can read all the books, but a lot of this stuff, you're just going to learn as you go along. And that's fine. Like I learned about these eviction things in 2020 and I got this building in 2012. So like, you know, and that too, that was eight years of like, no, no issues. Um, you know, so, uh, First, eviction is going to happen, but it's not, doesn't happen as often as you think. And also just, you will learn the things as you go. You're not going to learn any, everything beforehand. So, you know, we're talking about analysis paralysis earlier. If your numbers are looking good, go do it. Right. It's even if you mess up, you're still going to be fine. Like I messed up. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> like, messes up. Yeah. Like I I messed up with finding contractors, you know, and I'm still fine. Like I messed up with, you know, I didn't uh, like one thing I wish I had done was have a separate electric uh, meter for downs for the basement. I didn't do that. It's still fine. Like it's now I just know for the next, the next building and it's okay.
0: (laughs) Would you agree, Christine? (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. And you know, it's, I hate to say this in a glib way, But I mean, early on, I lost property. I, I, you know, had to give the keys to the bank and say, dude, I just have no idea how I'm going to pay you people. I bought my first three family at the top of the market, the top. And I think the next day, you know, prices went down. And not only that, I didn't have my own attorney. I didn't know, know anything. So I actually the The guy who sold it to me, the not very nice person who sold it to me the day before the closing, he moved out the two tenants who were paying, leaving me with the one tenant who had never paid or hadn't paid for months. And so here I am a complete fool, idiot at 22 years old, trying to figure out what the heck I'm gonna do with these people and this, you know trying to get this person to pay and I'm just the tradition like the proverbial landlady who had no clue and was like she's well she says she's gonna make up the thing and blah blah blah. and she said that you know that she just had some troubles and now she's gonna make I, I mean, she should have been out on her behind you know but no I let her say that for six months listen to all her BS stories right but the, you know what the world didn't come to an end. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I ended up giving that property back to the bank and you know, it took a while. I rebuilt my credit, but you know, shit happens, but you learn so much. Mm -hmm. And you just, if you just can say, yeah, you know what, I'm probably not going to do this perfectly. I might have to fire a few contractors. I might even lose a house, but you know what, at the end of the day you had this experience you're better for it you're smarter you you know what i mean and now you know all the fifty seven thousand things you did wrong that you're not going to repeat the next time Mm -hmm. so yeah
1: i I still to this day don't like working with contractors but i'm really good about making sure everything's on in writing uh to the point where a contractor i worked with a couple years ago was like do you want to come work with me (laughs) because i had like our scope of work i had timelines i had signatures you know, if somebody tries to do something where I got a boiler replaced and, and I know the person, right. We've, we've, we had a relationship, but he just said, okay, I'm starting. And I said, okay, well, I wrote down a little contract and sent it to him and he sent it back to me. I'm like, I'm not going to give you 10 grand. Like, and we don't have anything in writing. Like, right? Exactly. you know, so you, the, the bad things, it sucks. It's not fun when it happens, but it helps you to learn. It helps you to grow. And it's, it's part of the game.
0: And there's something you said earlier too, that I want to pick up again, because you said you asked lots of you asked lots of questions. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us, and this is not just for women, I think a lot of men and women were in a field that we know nothing about. But we don't want anyone to know that we know nothing about it. So we don't want to ask a stupid question. So we don't ask any questions. And you don't learn, right? I really hand it to you for being courageous enough to say, dude, what are you talking about? Right? What does that mean? And even to say, Hmm. this person spent this much and now it's worth this much. And even like, I would even say if they did the work that fast, it probably wasn't a good job. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Right. I mean, maybe they brought in a crew of thousands, but maybe they just as likely put a lot of band-aids on everything. So, right. Just to, to ask lots of questions and then When people answer you, make sure you understand what they just said. Cause sometimes they'll, you know, you'll say, oh, what's this? And they'll explain it to you. And you'll be like, I didn't know what any of those words were.
1: (laughs) Ask them again. uh, uh, Can you say, I always say, explain this to me. Like I'm a first grader and like that usually helps a lot. We are lucky today because there is the internet So whatever you want to know. I always say, you know do your research first and then go talk to three or four professionals and then make a decision because even the professionals will tell you wrong information. So when I was trying to get my two or three K loan, I, I, I honestly talked to at least 20 lenders, like more than 20 lenders and all of them are saying you can't do what you want to do. And I was like, okay, cool, click. And I'm like, I don't believe you because I'm reading this forum where people are saying they got this loan and they got this money. It doesn't make sense. And I don't know if those lenders just honestly didn't know because they were new or if they were specifically saying I couldn't because they couldn't do the loan. It, it's important to... To take accountability as well, right? It sucks that at school, they don't teach you these things. And unless you're in a community of, you know, other people that are into real estate, you're not going to know. And so you have to take ownership of learning. And again, if you're listening to this, if you listen to this podcast every week, you are already taking the steps to do that. Um, But just be informed on what you want, do your research, and then talk to multiple people that are actually doing it, not people that, you know, that haven't done it. Talk to people that have done it. Talk to some professionals and then make your decision on, on what you want to do. But YouTube, Google, you know, listening to all these podcasts, like, and then just being confident that you can take the action and you're going to mess up. We've messed up. we have both messed up and it's going to be okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're not brain surgeons. So it's, it's okay. (laughs) Just a regular, regular person. Yeah, exactly. We we can mess up and no one's gonna die. So that's the good news. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you credit my crash and burn, but it's okay.
0: That, you that's, can rebuild that it. You can rebuild it. Right. I mean, absolutely. I've been. In, I had credit card debt. You know, mortgages that didn't get paid, and I had now my my credit's now over eight hundred. And at one time awesome. it was, you know, in in the drink. It was in the toilet. So,
1: yep. Same same thing. When I couldn't pay that. When my uh, renovation went longer than expected, my credit score completely tanked and it's fine
0: now. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say something else about, um, oh, the 203K loan. Mm. You know, FHA loans in general are I think not that popular with lenders. Sometimes they want would rather push you in another direction. And the 203K loan is another order of magnitude of complexity. And sometimes they either don't wanna be bothered or they just haven't done very many and really don't have a clue how they all work. So for that loan and and any kind of rehab type loan, you're better off talking to lots of people until you get the answer you want, because you're right. Some people don't do them Mm -hmm. and the people who do them might not have done one for years. So.
1: Yeah. Um, if for anybody that's struggling to find a lender, if you go to HUD, you can actually find, uh, I forget the exact page, but you can find like lenders that in a specific uh, state that have done two or three Ks recently. So that's, I was able to eventually find a lender by just going through that list and calling people until I found someone. But it took, again, some digging and resource to even find that resource. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a little harder with your first one because you don't have the time, right? As you start to get more freedom, you've got the time to do this research so i really hand it to you to be like okay you're working full time and you're doing all this research to find the house and now you got to do another 15 hours of research just to find the right stupid lender which should be as easy as picking up the phone right but yeah it was worth it but
1: listen i got a
0: payday at the end of
1: that year so it was worth it (laughs) and then just over time like the value of that house has gone up exponentially so um that's the thing like the time like the earlier You can wait till you get married, but like the, the, the earlier you get in, like one, you're going to save on rent and then you're going to be building equity at the same time. It's just, if you are waiting to buy a house because you're waiting for someone else that you don't even know that hasn't even popped up in your life. It's like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, let's, let's have a conversation, like, you know, message me, let's talk about it. Cause I really want to just dig deeper into why, cause it's, that's probably not the actual reason. There's probably something else going on in the background. And I think if you take a step back and look at the numbers and see how it is going to drastically change your life, I think it'll, it'll be a different decision. And for me, it's not even about like money. It's just that like, I like having options, right? I like having freedom,
0: you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and by doing things on your own, you're also building yourself confidence. And if nothing else, the person who you're going to attract is going to be of a higher caliber, I think, because you're now at a higher caliber, right? You're more confident. You're more experienced, you're more successful and you're just like, you're not going to take any BS from some crappy guy, you know, you just like, or, or, you know, person you, you're gonna, you you just have a higher opinion of yourself. I think you can't, I don't think you can go through this process and get to the other side without having an increase in self-confidence and just your, the way you feel about yourself. Do you agree? I agree completely. I agree. Yeah.
1: And it just, it forces you to be a little more decisive. Right. So if you have all these different options of what you can buy, like what lender, like it forces you to make decisions based on what's important to you. So now if you meet someone and it's not aligned for whatever reason, I think you're more likely to think through and say, okay, does this meet the, what I want in my life in the future? And you can comfortably say, no, I'm definitely more selective now <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing like i just if we're not aligned when not line that's okay like we don't not everybody that you meet is for you and not everybody is gonna agree with what you're doing and how you're doing things and that's okay but there are so many people in the world um and i again like the, the most important thing is being able to have options whereas if you you know are relying for someone for a place to live if you're relying for on someone for income, then you start to make decisions that are more based on your survival than based on what you actually want. And that really is the biggest reason why like more women should be creating their own, becoming more independent financially, because, so I used to work in public health and with a lot of the the data we use to create programs, it was based on the fact that women tend to stay in situations where they don't want to be in because of financial reasons, right? Because they can't get out because they don't have the option to get out monetarily. And so if you have an opportunity to do so for yourself, it it makes sense because there's so many women that like want the opportunity and they, because of where they live, because of circumstance, they can't do it. And so if you have the means to buy a property and buy it strategically so that one house can set you up in the future, you're good. And it really, it really does just take one, one, Strategically purchase property
0: to give you more options. You don't need a 100. <laughs> you <laughs> don't even <have> need <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, I want to tell you a story about a client who I worked with as a, because I'm a real estate agent. I work with this person as a client to help her buy her first. She was left some money. Okay. We sat down and talked about, like, what do we want to do and what your plans are and what you goals She was not married at that time. And so, We decided that she was going to buy one condo to live in and one condo to rent. And she was doing that because she knew she wanted to get married. And she knew that when she got married, she wanted to have children. And she knew that when she had children, she didn't want to work full-time. So by Mm -hmm. getting this property and having that income stream, it gave her the option. Now she teaches yoga. She does other like part-time things and she's a full-time mom and she's so happy because one and then she did get married. She, you know, she did meet a guy. She did get married. She does have kids, and then of course she had that other condo to rent out. She's got two incomes that are coming in, so that she doesn't need to have a full time job. She can do whatever serves her the best. So it's just, it yeah, echoing what you what you're saying. Options are always a great thing. First, I, I love that
1: you actually sat and asked your client what her end goal was because a lot of realtors don't do that. <laughs> I know. I know. So kudos to you for doing that. Um, and I agree 100% that you, it's easier for you to make decisions if you're clear on what you want to do. So because, and maybe she even maybe she hadn't even thought about what her end goal was. So I mean, you might've actually like helped her a lot by asking her that question for you to think through. Because I think if a lot of us did that first, we probably wouldn't be buying like the houses that we're buying, right? You probably wouldn't, if you know that, okay, I don't want to work till I'm 65, you probably aren't going to buy like a McMansion single family that's taking up your whole pay because that's going to guarantee that you're working until you're 65 because you're just adding, you're adding another bill. You're not creating wealth, right? that house, which is the story that we're told any house that you buy, like your house is your biggest investment. Yeah. Not necessarily. It's probably oh, your biggest if you want house. a
0: place to live afterwards. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can sell. It makes lots of money. And then I'm going to do what? Well, you're going to buy another one and take all that money you just made and put it in there. So hello. Yeah, exactly.
1: I, I completely agree that if you, if you think through what it is that you want in your life, like what do you want to accomplish with this house in terms of creating wealth with it, right? Creating, I, Cash flow equity, and then work your way back from that. You're more likely to buy a house that's not going to, you know, suck up all your money.
0: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> no but I love talking to you. I'm really excited. So we found out oh, during the break. We found out that No Boy and I are like. I don't know, probably six miles away from each other right now, geographically. Yes. So in October, we're going to get together and have lunch and have a great face-to-face conversation. So we're going to put all the information in the show notes, but just right now, if people want to reach out to you, if they just have a question or if they want to work with you, I understand you're you're coming up with an online course that people can take. Is that right?
1: Yes. I have a, a group coaching program. So it's an eight-week program to walk you through creating your strategy, really, um, and creating your the questions for your team so that you can go ahead and go buy your first multifamily, uh, strategically two to four units specifically, not, you know, not <laughs> five plus multi, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that you will be living in. Right. And I focus on, on owner occupant, um, multifamily because it's, I think it's the easiest way to get started. Um, so if you're interested in that, or even just connecting, um, all of my contact information is at nobu.bio. So N O B U um, that's the best way to get all the different means to follow up with me.
0: Oh, you know what? Another thing really quickly I wanted to touch on is this idea that where is the market? What if I buy now and the market you know, goes down, right? What What is your comment about that?
1: My comment is if you are buying a two, three or four family house and you're focusing on the rent covering your mortgage, the rent from your tenants covering your mortgage, it doesn't matter what what the market is. So like, I I don't, if I'm buying for me, like, I don't care what the interest rates are. I don't care what the home price is. I am doing the math to figure out what is the market? What is the, the, not even market rent. I actually look at what is section eight rent because that's usually lower than market rent. And then I use that to do the math to figure out, does that cover the mortgage or enough of it where I'm comfortable? And if the answer is yes, my mortgage payment is staying the same. So even if the market, even if the house prices tank, it doesn't matter because I'm still winning by not paying rent. And if the market tanks, it's going to come back up eventually. And so if, again, if you look at your budget, how, what you spend on, you're probably spending the most amount of money in where you live. And that's where you're winning. So if you're focusing on on, on house hacking, you know, interest rates, market rate, market, you know, whether it's buyer's market, seller's market, doesn't matter. Do your math. And based on math, make a decision on that, not on what the media is saying or your neighbor, that's a renter, like do the math for yourself and make a decision. Yeah. Those are my thoughts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I talk to people like, Oh, you know, I was going to buy six years ago and I felt like the market was too high and now I'm really kicking myself. Right. Yeah. Every single time I bought a house, I'm like, ooh, it's so expensive. <laughs> and then, then you're a year like, later, it's so much more expensive.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I, when, I look, when I look, I always just keep tabs of what's what's happening in my neighborhoods. And I look and I say, ooh, that's expensive. But I am very certain it's going to be even more expensive in a couple of years, for sure. So the, the best way to make a decision isn't just based on like, what's the price? It's, you know, look at your budget, like do some math to see, how much do you make? How much do you spend? Like, what is the leftover? And then based on that, like, what can you actually buy? Don't even worry about like, what's the prices. Like when you talk to your lender, they're going to give you, you can get approved for whatever, $500,000, but then you got to take a step forward and ask, okay, what is the actual monthly payment? What does that look like? And then make sure it matches that math that you did. And if that doesn't work, then it's a no, right. you know? Right.
0: Exactly. And you don't have to listen to what the media is saying. You don't have to listen to what anybody else is saying. You don't have to care if you bought it at the top of the market, because if you have your rent, your tenants are paying the rent, they're paying your mortgage for you and they're allowing you to live for less expensive, if not for free, you know, life is good. You don't need to care.
1: Yeah. As long as, you know, the rent is being covered, the mortgage is being covered. It's not going to feel good, of course. And it's going to feel like, oh, I made a bad decision, but all you know the houses that crashed you know 2008 like if you look at them now like they came back up it took a while oh, yeah.
0: but oh yeah <laughs> you're like yeah they bounced back a lot yeah <laughs> oh yeah I mean I there were their properties I was looking at just like small there were condos in Worcester for example so they were you could get a huge huge three-bedroom condo it was basically a three family that they turned into three separate condos and then the condo went bust because nobody wanted to pay their, mortgage anymore. Mm-hmm. And you could walk in there and buy one of those for $60,000 and those are now selling for more like 240, which is so cheap, but 240 mm-hmm. is four times more what is it? It's more. It's like three times more than no, it's four times more, sorry. Than the than the 60,000 you would have spent on it, right? And yeah. of course you would have had to pretty it up a little bit, but it's made a remarkable recovery and that's basically what normally happens, right? It goes down and then it comes up. So, yeah.
1: The, um my last house was in Indianapolis so the last seller bought it in 2000 and was it two, 20 2010 for 30 grand and i bought it for 136,000 yeah so and now those houses are worth like 250 like so okay. you know it's just it's just a matter of time it's not there are people that do the flips right they make the money quickly and that's fine for me i'm more of a a, a long term I'm in it for the long run, long haul. And if you're the same kind of person where you're just like, you know, I'm gonna get it and just chill, then the 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 ups and downs don't matter as long as you've done your math up front and you are focusing on like reducing your your living costs, it just write it out, right? I think it's, yeah. it's the market does matter if you're planning on flipping because one wrong move and you're going to lose a whole bunch of money. <laughs> oh,
0: <yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> so think of right now, who are you going to share Nobu's episode with? Because she has shared some awesome gems, some really great information and all of her contact info is going to be in the show notes. And thank you for being here with us. And we look forward to talking to you again next week.